0: So I saw an, uh, an interesting news article recently that I thought was one of those fake, like if you're familiar with The Onion or The Babylon Bee, that writes a satirical um, newspaper article. And uh, this is what the headline for the article was. If, if you didn't know, uh, a few years back, there was a group in Kentucky who uh, built a life-size replica of the ark from the, the story in Genesis, Noah's ark. I mean, you're talking this massive thing. And so the headline was Ark Encounter Suing Insurer for Rain Damage. Now, I don't care who you are, that's funny. Now, I did read later on that it was, there was so much rain, and it wasn't the ark itself, it was more like a landslide thing. But still, can we just kind of laugh a little bit about. What's the irony? Anyone else sometimes really struggle to know when you see like articles and newspaper things like what is real and what is not anymore? What world do we live in? I thought that was pretty interesting. Well, this morning we are going to be talking. Uh, we're continuing in our series called Genesis. And Genesis is the very first book of the Bible. And Genesis is this word that means beginnings. And we've been reading about all sorts of beginnings of how God created the heavens and the earth and how he created you and I in his image. And I always said it was very good. That you have so much worth and value just because you are created in the image of God. We talked about sin and shame that happened with the fall of man. We talked last week about Cain and Abel, these two brothers who had a very intense sibling rivalry that ended in murder. Which again, all of us think we got messed up families. Most of us, I'm going to guess, probably didn't have a sibling rivalry that ended up in murder. There may be one or two in here, I don't know. But most of us probably not. And so we're going to be continuing this story, and we're going to talk about this kind of popular story that even if you grew up in church, or didn't grow up in church, you've probably heard of, called Noah's Ark. Now, I've got a bone to pick, okay? So let's just think about this for a second. Let's just imagine that you guys are some sort of like book company, you're like a, um, you know, you do like children's ministry things, or or, 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 or you're a teacher. Let me pitch you this idea on a, a great children's story, okay? So here's my idea. Um, the world is really, really terrible. People are super evil, okay? And so, but there's one guy who's really good and his family's pretty good. Now, God who created these people uh, is really sad about what's going on. He's so uh, upset with the angriness and the the, 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 the the evil in this world that he decides that he's going to send this flood that's going to wipe out everybody but eight people. Uh, but there will be a bunch of animals and a really cool boat, and there's a rainbow at the end. What do you guys think? A good children's book? I you know, it seems very much like something that, you know, seems very P G, maybe even G it's funny, right? Like, can we just laugh at the fact that anyone else, maybe if you did, if you're like a, a weirdo kid like me who grew up in church and you, you know, grew up with, you know, maybe Sunday school, maybe in a flannel graph, any flannel graphers up in here where you saw the little pieces go on there. It's funny, right? It's kind of a story that you read and it's really kind of cutesy because there's animals and there's the rainbow and you're like, there's a lot of goodness to the story, but I don't know about you, but like my Sunday school teacher never really like took on the like Hey, what about all the people who died or like what God was angry with? Like what? So this morning we're going to talk about this story. And I'm going to be honest, when I looked at the calendar and realized, oh, it's Father's Day. Oh, there's baby dedication or parent-child dedication. to God, all the people I was like, good Lord, what in the world did I do? But I also want to say this to you guys. As the pastor of this church, I think there's something important about tackling Scripture, even when we're not always sure what to do with it. And to tackle the tough stories. Because do you know what I've found? Many of my peers and and people younger than me, what has happened for them, why many of them have walked away from the church, is that oftentimes their questions that are very legitimate questions about God, about faith, about the Bible, have just been totally cast aside. They have been met with just have more faith. Or they have met with just believe. And so they leave because they say, wow, seems like there's a lot of hypocrites here. Which I'm I'm a little hypocritical, I'll be honest. And it seems like no one actually wants to take on my questions. So this morning, here's what I want to do. I want to tell you kind of the overarching story of of, of Noah, Noah's Ark, all that, and kind of work through some of these. We're going to talk about some of the parts that are kind of hard and, and how can we reconcile those as a God of love also um, destroyed half the earth. We're going to talk about some of the theories that could be there. And then, towards the end, I want to give kind of four things for especially us dads in the room of the lessons that we can learn from the story of Noah. Sound good? Y'all with me? Alright, I need one more drink of coffee, okay? Alright, so, if you have a Bible this morning, you can open up to Noah, or to Noah. Noah. There's not a book called Noah, for the record. Let me get one more drink of coffee. <laughs> Woo! Is it hot in here? Need a couple donut holes. Genesis chapter 6. <laughs> At least I haven't said Jonah in the ark, right? Or Noah in the whale. Anyways, Bible jokes. Genesis chapter 6, starting in verses 1. Good Lord. The uh, the scripture will be up on the screen if you want to see it. Uh, so let me give a little backstory before we read this part. So Cain and Abel, right? Cain kills his brother Abel out of this jealousy. God kind of says, hey, you're going to have to go away. There's kind of this curse for the evil that you've done. And uh, he goes away, and his offspring in particular becomes very violent, very evil, disregards God, and creates kind of this really evil world, okay? And so this is what it says. When human beings began increasing in number on the earth, and the daughters were, were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful, and they married any of them that they chose. Now let's pause there for one second a lot of people have different theories some people are like this proves they were like weird giant people or like these angelic beasts who were like marrying women uh, who were there. Here's the best bet that I have with this. I don't think that this is a story where we're like, oh, they're like these weird, you know, angelic beast men who took uh, human wives. What I think most people and most scholars would agree is that the sons of God would refer to as the offspring of Adam and Eve's next son, Seth. So after Abel was killed, God gave them, they gave them more children, but the first one after that was Seth. And everything we know, like Seth was a pretty good dude. We didn't hear he didn't try to kill Cain or anyone else. So, um, And so most likely, many people would say the sons of God were those who were still of Adam and Eve's. And then the, the uh, when it talks about uh, the daughters of humans, they're talking about the offspring of Cain. And so we're talking again. A lot of the Old Testament talks about some different ideas of where God is trying to have this holy group of people. And not like holier than thou, not like the church lady from SNL back in the 80s. We're not talking about like a holy huddle type thing. We're talking about holy means set apart. It's this idea that there are these people who God is saying, no, no, no. Here's how I wanted it created where everything is good and keep it like this. And it's not because I don't like the rest, but I want you to stay in this goodness. And I want the goodness to draw them back into the goodness. Okay, you feel me? But this was not a good part of the plan. So anyways, the Lord goes on and he says, my spirit will not contend with humans forever for they are mortal their days will be 120 years now let's talk about that for a second does that mean that god is only going to allow people to live 120 years like does everyone just have this like all right when you hit 120 you might as well just be ready to like you're out of here no that's not what that means in scripture we actually see noah who we're going to talk about in in a minute live to be like 600 or something like that crazy and so regardless of the time thing here's what this really means this moment God is basically saying things have gotten so bad, it's so evil, it's so bad that here's what I'm going to have to do. I'm going to have to set a clock and basically say in 120 years, like, unless things deeply change, it's done. We're going to have to hit the reset button. We're going to have to figure something else out, okay? Now, we skip skip a verse because I don't want to get into these other people that just then, it's just going to confuse us. So we go on. The Lord saw how the wickedness of the human race had become on earth. And that every inclination of their, the thoughts of their human heart was only evil all the time. Man, I thought I was bad. Feeling a little better right now. The Lord regretted that He had made human beings on the earth, and His heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals and the birds and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. Alright, if the band wants to come back up, we're gonna pray real quick and I think we're good for the day, right? But but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now, this is an interesting passage, right? This is kind of a hard one to, to reconcile. So let's let's talk a little bit about this first part before I tell the rest of the story, okay? So how do we reconcile a God who elsewhere is known as the God of love? The God is love. How do we reconcile him and Jesus to this same God? Now some people will try to say, well, obviously the Old Testament God, uh, Jesus changed his heart or did something different or, or maybe it's, it's two different people or, or, or all of this. And, and, and here's, here's what I've come to. God is the same from, well, he never really had a beginning. He's always been, but God does not change. The God of the Old Testament is the same God that we find in the New Testament in the person of Jesus Christ. So what does this story tell us? What What does this mean? Is God just mean and vengeful? Here's what I think it means. I think things were so bad that the God of all the universe felt like he had no other choice. Now, let's talk for a second about how we view God, Okay. And go with me for a second, okay? Because we live in a time where we live in a Western culture where we are deeply influenced by things like the Enlightenment. We're deeply skeptical people. Like, let's be honest, we don't we don't trust very much, right? Like, we even tr- struggle sometimes to trust in our marriages and our families and things of that nature. We are hardwired to not want to believe certain things. But you know what I found that's really interesting is that There's many people I run into who use phrases such as, I couldn't believe in a God who blanks. Right? Maybe some of you have said that before. I couldn't believe in a God who does this or who believes this. Now let's just, let's just talk about something for a second. Gravity, right? Gravity is a reality, right? If I, if I throw something up in the air, even if I don't want to believe in, in, in gravity, right? Like, something's probably going to fall on my head if I throw it up in the air, right? Because gravity does not have to do with whether I believe in it. Gravity does not have have to like kind of get like my pass. Like gravity doesn't have to say, "Hey, Aaron, are you cool with uh, if if I if if something comes back down and hits you after you throw it in the air?" It doesn't have to, does it? Because does gravity have to answer to me? No, gravity doesn't have to answer to me. You know, in the same way, what's what's kind of interesting to me is that oftentimes there are some of us who start with, all right, God, if you can check all the boxes that I'm looking for. I mean, it's like it's like an online dating profile. It's like we're going through uh, the little line at Chipotle and we're trying to pick out everything we want. It's like, all right, God, if you can prove to me that you can do this, if you also hate these people like I hate them, if you like these people, if you're okay with this sort of bad thing, but not okay with that bad thing. It's like we try to do this like, let me pick out the God that I want. And then what's even more interesting to me is sometimes we do this, right? We say, um, hey, God, even if I think I've experienced you, I go and say, hey, but if you do this, I can't believe in you anymore. I don't think you're real. Now, what's really interesting to me is sometimes I, I just, this is my own weird twisted thought, is if God is real, does it really matter if he does what we like or don't like? I'd say no. There's this reality, there's this, there's this scripture in the Old Testament that talks about the idea that, that He is the potter and we are the clay. And that can the clay look up at the potter and say, you're doing it wrong, essentially? No. He's the artist. He's the one. And so here's what I've come to. Our God is a just God. And He's a loving God. And sometimes the interesting thing is how do we reconcile those two things, right? Now, what I've found in my own life is that when I've gotten in trouble and when I'm in the wrong, all I want is a really loving, gracious God. But when I've been hurt, when I've been wronged, you better believe I'm like, where is the justice, Judge Judy version of God at? Throw the book at them. Anyone be willing to admit that they're similar? We want those things. And so how do we reconcile this? Here's what I go to. I go to the fact that Jesus... Throughout all his ministry, we're going to ch- chat a little bit about, he mentions Noah. He never says anything, any qualms about the Old Testament. There's never a moment where, where Jesus says, yeah, they got this wrong about the law. Yeah, I'm different than that. He says, I'm giving you a new covenant, but he never says, like, I'm different than that, God. Here's what, I, what I've what i come to when I reconcile this story. There's some aspects of God and his character and his actions that I don't have to fully understand, And I don't have to fully agree with to be able to follow him. Because at the end of the day, he is God and I am not. He is wise beyond any wisdom I could ever have. Any wisdom I have is a gift from him. And so here's what I trust personally. And some of you are like, well, that's bold, but whatever. I buy into this idea that if God felt like the reset button was what had to happen, that if he felt like this world that he intended to be so good was so bad. And the only way forward was to basically start over that I trust that the God of all the universe who sent his son for me, I'm going to trust that he knew what he was doing. Now, there's lots of theories about what happened with this, right? There's some theories and I'm going to throw out a couple theories of how people interpret this scripture and then I'll tell you the rest of the story. And here's the thing. I, 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 some of you will call me a heretic. I'm okay with people having differing views. I'm not necessarily going to tell you what my view is because I want you to choose for yourself. I want you to go read the scripture later and, and kind of choose for yourself. But there, there are basically three views on, uh, on this story of this flood, okay? One, one theory is some people just believe that it's a myth, that's similar to how Jesus told parables, that this was just some sort of story that was put out there to teach a lesson, okay? Now, I personally don't subscribe to that one, But here's the thing, even if you subscribe to that one, there's lessons of truth to learn from scripture. A second one is some people believe that maybe it wasn't a global flood, but it actually was more of like a regional flood, that when they, the different uh, Hebrew words could be used both for all of the earth or just the land, and that maybe it was a certain sort of Middle Eastern flood, and we don't really know about all the rest of the world, and so maybe, you know, they reconcile, maybe it was only like a certain group of people and not all the people. And then, of course, there's the more traditional view that it was a full-on global flood. The whole thing, bam. Again, no matter where you follow on the line of these things, it's still Scripture. It's still truth to be had, and it's still to be learned, okay? So let me tell you the rest of the story. Here's what's happened if you've never heard this story or you need a refresher. So God comes to Noah and says, listen, you are the only faithful person I see in your generation Everyone else is essentially wicked. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to uh, build this huge ark, this boat. And he gives them all of these uh, kind of specifics. I mean, we are talking about this ginormous thing. I mean, we're talking takes up many acres, uh, all of these sort of things specifically. And I want you to take you and your sons. There's going to be eight people total. And uh, you're also going to get all these animals. And uh, basically what he wants to do, and, and this is sort of a throwback to the garden, Basically, what God is trying to do is saying, could we restart how we started in the Garden of Eden? And what we're going to do is we're going to make a portable, floating Garden of Eden of sorts. Now, what's interesting is think about this. Most scholars believe it probably took somewhere between 55 and 70-some years to build this ark. This thing would have been a massive undertaking, okay? And so during this time, some is told and some we make assumptions that, I can imagine if someone started making a giant boat here in Indiana. Now, this this year, I would actually think like they might be onto something with all the rain we've had. Uh, we'll get to that though uh, why that's not true in a moment. Um, but I got to think there'd be a lot of questions, a lot of ridicule. I don't I don't know about y'all, but if I was Noah, there'd be a lot of times where I'd be thinking like, really? Are you sure? Like, can I stop yet? Or, or was this a joke? But essentially, God hit this timer. 120 years. Many scholars would say this is three generations of sort of a grace of saying, hey, here's an opportunity, turn things around. It never happens. Eventually the rain begins. It rains for 40 days, 40 nights. It talks about how it reaches above the peaks of the highest mountains. And then eventually goes away. They start anew and God makes this promise, this covenant with Adam and Eve. And he says, listen, Never again will I destroy the earth like this. Never again will I wipe out humanity. And hey, here's this thing called the rainbow. And this will be the sign to you that you'll always be able to look at that I will never do this again. That's interesting. This is the very first promise that God makes in Scripture. The very first promise. We're going to talk more, especially next week, about God and promises and what he does. But this is that story. This story of a God whose heart must have been so broken. And it is crazy. i got to admit, I only have a a three-year-old and a a four-month-old. But parents, would you agree? Isn't it crazy? I never thought someone could hurt, like kind of hurt your feelings a little bit more or frustrate you more than a child, right? I mean, I only have older ones. And I've heard, I've sat with some of you and cried with some of you and prayed with some of you about having deep wounds with your children. Maybe children who are estranged. Children who've just made interesting decisions, and so there's so much of of of. While yeah, that doesn't give us by no means take that as this means like you can destroy your children. Don't do that. Um, but I think we could all kind of understand and empathize with this idea of of God and his his emotion. You know, I think that's a weird thing, whether we want to admit it or not. God has emotion. God 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 is God handles his emotions better than we do. But there's this obvious reality that as a father, man, he just wants us. That there is a reality that there can be things that that happen in this world. I I still think when there's injustice in this world, it breaks the heart of the Father so much. I think he sees evil in this world still today and says it just breaks his heart. And so what do we do with this story? What are some of the lessons that we learn from this story? I want to just give four quick lessons we learn, I think, okay? And especially dads, cue in. And this is my little moment for dads, especially because it's Father's Day. Dads, whether you know it or not statistically speaking, even though moms, you guys are rock stars, even though you are great, even though you are leaders and you are equally called as leaders in the church and in the home, there's a reality that statistically speaking, children who grow up in a household where the father or the father figure has a very obvious faith, who attends church regularly, who really lives it out, the, 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 the percentages of the children catching that same faith it's astronomically different between when it's the dad who does it and the mom who does it. That doesn't mean, moms, don't keep doing your thing. But, dad, what that means is you need to show up. It means you have to take it seriously. And let's talk about this. So what did what did Noah do? What do we learn from Noah and his story? That we should be faithful, okay? What's interesting is this is what it says in Genesis chapter 6, verse 9. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among his people, and he walked faithfully with God. Now, what's interesting is it doesn't say, and I think we, we think about this sometimes about if we're going to be used by God for something big. We think we have to have the best skills. We think we have to have the most natural talent. We think we have to have, you know, some sort of like superhero power type thing. As far as we know, there's nothing that says uh, Noah was a master carpenter. There's nothing that says he was the greatest speaker or leader. There's nothing that says in scripture about him other than the fact that he was righteous and he was faithful. My friends, faithfulness will beat just about anything when it comes to the calling of God. And so, each one of us could learn this lesson from Noah. Be faithful. Be obedient to God. Even when it's hard. Even when it seems like it's crazy. Even when we just don't think we can do it on our own. Here's the spoiler alert. You can't do it on your own. That's why we've got community. That's why we have the Holy Spirit. But be faithful. Being faithful now will pay dividends in eternity. Let me just tell you that. Be faithful. In Exodus, we learn from this idea of who God is and what he says he is as a faithful God. This is who God proclaims himself to be to Moses, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithful, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. He does not leave the guilty unpunished. And we don't really love the last part because we're all guilty. And truth be told, obviously, Jesus comes later, so there's a little bit different part of that story. But here's what it tells us who God is. Our God is slow to anger and abounding in love. Even if we want to look at the story of Noah and the flood and we see an angry God or we see a mean God, the reality is God could have just God doesn't have to have our permission to do things, right? Can I just be real? He doesn't have to have our permission. He doesn't have have our blessing. But I think How compassionate, how gracious is it that he gave the 120 years? And how gracious is it the fact that he still chose Noah? He chose his family. He easily could have just been like, you know what, forget this. Let's just wipe this off. I'm done with this. Could have walked away, cleaned his hands of it. Could have just restarted. Could have been like, listen, humans are done. Let me create some sort of alien-like creatures and let's start over this way. But he didn't because he is slow to anger. And he's abounding in love. And he forgives our wickedness, our sinfulness, our rebellion. And again, we don't like to talk about that because let's be honest, no one likes to think about how we're bad. I don't. I already know. But our God is gracious. He's compassionate. Here's the second thing we got to learn. We should live differently or we should live in a holy way. Again, like I said before, holy means set apart. Can I just be real with you guys for a second? So many of us want to live a Christian life And look nothing like, we want to look just like the rest of the world. We don't want to be different. Noah is a great example. Now, here's the truth. Most of us, thankfully, are not going to get asked to build this large boat. Most of our being different is going to be a private matter. It's going to be the thoughts of our hearts. It's going to be the, the things that we do that aren't seen, that pay dividends. But the reality is there's also things that are very public. And can I be honest with you all? We are losing battles in our families, in our culture, because we so much want to be like everyone else. And we're so afraid of being ridiculed or our children being ridiculed that we bend and say, you know what, my child, you can do whatever you want because I want you to choose your own faith. And don't get me wrong, it's a choice, it's a personal choice for everyone else. But did you know that you as a parent... You have been entrusted. Remember we talked about that before to train to teach to equip those children And so guess what i'm just going to go ahead and give you permission You can tell them they can't wear something that they can't hang out with a certain people that they can't do certain things You can take the control of setting your children up for success Now this is an extreme view, but like let's be honest Can you imagine if no is like listen guys? I don't know if you're really going to want to help build this ark I don't know if you're really believing in this so like I'm gonna let you guys. If you want to hang out with your other friends, that's cool. And uh like, you can choose whether or not you want to get on the boat or not. If he did that, his sons probably would have died, right? Because I don't know about y'all, but I probably, if I was one of his sons, there probably been a lot of times I'm like, Dad, do we have to build this stupid boat again? We're in the middle. We're in. We're in central Indiana. Like, why do we have to do this? It's not gonna happen. Did you hear? Everyone thinks you're an idiot. Like, those would be those thoughts. And the truth is. Because Noah made choices for his family, because Noah modeled faithfulness to his children, his children were saved. The truth is, while it's a personal choice for every individual, even our children, there are choices that we can make to help our children now that will pay dividends later. And I don't know why we don't just do it. Be okay with the fact that, guess what? Maybe other parents are going to say you're too harsh. Maybe other parents are going to say, that's weird that you do that. Be okay with the fact that maybe your kids are going to be annoyed with you. Guess what? You're their parent, not their friend. It's okay. I promise. But there's this idea that we have to be different. It also means we have to live differently, okay? It may mean we sacrifice stuff. Guess what? If we want to be present in our children's lives, it may mean we have to give stuff up. It may mean less golf. It may mean not being in a softball league. It may mean not doing something that we love because we see that there's something greater, something more important. Now, I'm not saying you can't have fun anymore, but here's the thing: we have to make choices and live differently because this isn't just a this is a temporary moment, and what we do in the temporary impacts the eternal. In First Peter chapter one, verses thirteen through sixteen, it just says this: So prepare your minds for action and and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Christ Jesus is revealed to this world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. But now you must live holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scripture says, this is a quote from Leviticus, everyone's favorite book, you must be holy because I am holy. Friends, we have to live differently. If we want different results, if we want to live a life that is different, you got to change things, right? All right, third, we must be ready and alert. We don't like to talk about this, and I don't want to sound like crazy or like, whoa, Aaron's one of those preachers now. But we have to be ready and alert. The truth is, this world is temporary. One of the promises of God that we know is that someday Jesus is coming back. This is what Jesus talks about in the Gospel of Matthew when he speaks of uh, Noah. He says, but about the day or the hour when the Son of Man will come, no one knows, not even the angels nor the Son himself, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be the coming of the Son of Man. For in those days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Up to that day that Noah entered the ark, they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. And he goes on and says, so you must be Ready because no one's expecting when it's coming Now most of us are like take me back to the like jesus verses where he just talks about like love and grace Can't pick and choose the jesus, right? We got to have the whole thing There's this reality that whether we like it or not part of the justice of god The fairness of god of who god is is it means that judgment must happen eventually Now here's the good news We live on this side of the empty tomb. We live on this side of the cross We have a new life. We have a new opportunity that people before never had. But there's this reality that we have to stop thinking that this world will last forever. We have to start living with intentionality like what we do today matters for tomorrow and for the eternity. We must be ready. We must be alert. And here's the last thing and the band's going to come out and close us in a song in just one second. We have to trust in the promises of God. This is what Jesus said. He said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. Jesus says, I am the door. Some translation says, I am the gate. Let's just talk about this for one second. You know, it's really interesting about how God created the ark. One door. One door in and out that led to the salvation. It's this reminder from there that goes on to Jesus. That to be saved from the judgment that whether we like it or not, we deserve. The only way to be saved is by entering through the one door. Jesus proclaims himself as the door. God loved you so much that guess what? He didn't leave you to drown this time. He sent a life preserver, a life jacket in Jesus. He opened a door that there's not multiple ways. There's not multiple gods. There's not all sorts of things. There's one way for each one of us. To experience new life. To have a bright future in eternity. And it's with Jesus. The end of the story of Noah ends by letting us know about this rainbow. About this promise. You know what's amazing to me about the story? God tells him he'll never do this again. I, I, I've got to think, even though God is all-knowing, there's part of me that you got to hope like, All right. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this big saving. There's only eight of them. Surely, like, we're at least going to have like a year run of goodness, right? It's kind of amazing how quickly afterwards Noah messes up. How his sons mess up. And it's amazing how all of this time after, God has still kept his promise. This morning, some of you this morning need to hear That God's promises don't have expiration dates. That the promises that he's given to forgive us, the promise of his son Jesus and new life, this side of of eternity doesn't have an expiration date. That there's not one of us in here who who fits something where it's like, ah, sorry, we're too bad that we couldn't be saved. Ah, no, I, I want everyone to come be with me except for that one person. I want you to know this morning that if you feel that way, that that is a voice of the enemy. And that the name of Jesus Christ, who died for each and every one of us, you are loved. You are invited. You are welcome. And then it's amazing how, though at one point there was just a flood of judgment over the sin and wickedness, That when Jesus Christ came into this world, there was just a flood of mercy and grace. And that it's not something that we deserved. It's not something that we could earn. But it's a gift for each one of us to experience. This morning I'm going to ask all of us to stand and, and I'm going to pray and we're going to sing one last song. But this morning I pray that you don't leave this place not knowing, not recognizing that the God of all the universe, your heavenly Father, deeply and desperately loves you. And wants to be with you. And he so hopes that you will enter through that one door. Come home. Sit at his table. And just allow him to embrace you. Let's pray. God, thank you for the fact that you are an amazing father who deeply and desperately loves us. God, you are a God who is gracious and compassionate. You are slow to anger. And you are abounding in love. And God, you forgive us of all of our sin, of all of our rebellion, and all of our wickedness. God, this morning I pray that, that maybe if there's someone in this room, God, who's never experienced the grace of your son, Jesus, God, I pray that maybe this moment they would experience it. God, as we pray, as we sing these, this song, God, would you just speak to us in whatever way you want us to hear? God, most of all, I pray that each one of us would hear, my child, my child. Oh, how I love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.